grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust. Whoa, it stopped. Who knows why? I've been having weird things happening as I was putting the show together tonight. I apologize for that. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> oh, Turn out the lights and open your oh, minds. There we go. The journey is about to begin. Okay, well, it finished on its own. It's that mystery voice. It's the ghost. The ghost. It's the ghost. Okay, it's going to be <laughs> It's going to be one of those days. You can just tell. Welcome, everybody. I hope everybody's had a great day. We're coming up on the middle of the week already. It's kind of weird when we have these long weekends, isn't it? Seems like Monday start on Tuesday, and then the whole week is screwed up. But anyway. I'm here all the time anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Welcome. My name is Charlotte. I will be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and up and down the state of California, which means if you think you have something going on in your house that's odd, we can get to you. Uh, it may take us a while. California is a big state, but we can get to you. Um, and uh, if, you can, if we can't get to you directly or right away, we do have mediums on, on on the team who can call you and help you out okay anyway tonight if you're watching from facebook thank you for watching from facebook and uh if you haven't done so already and you like what you hear please be sure to hit that follow button um you can find us on all those pages on facebook california haunts or even under my you know even under my personal name also if you're watching from youtube let me get my little finger up here Whoop, there he is okay down there in that corner where i just pointed is the uh mascot he is a ghost with the sherlock holmes hat on and the magnifying glass click on him and a little subscribe button will pop up and um you can subscribe and we have 532 videos sitting over there all varying topics i am a journalist by trade so i like to mix it up i don't always like ghost ghostly and ufo things i like to mix it up like with the nice topic i spent almost six years as a crime courts reporter so this this is this time this topic tonight is right in my alley, right? Also, um, if you're watching from TikTok and you're just visiting over here, the YouTube for that is youtube.com forward slash ampersand California Haunts Radio. You can find us that way. We are also on Twitter at Cal Haunts. You can find us over there. TikTok, we are California Haunts, all lowercase. Instagram, not California Haunts, but we are Ghosty Gal. That would be me. That's all lowercase. All right. Okay. Well, Without further ado, we're going to swing right into this. Uh, I've, I've read this book. It's a fascinating book. It's a very sad book. Tragic. There's tragic stuff in here, too. And I think when, once you hear what the guest has to say, you'll understand why I say that. Um, as a newspaper reporter, I covered a lot. And I was surprised. In the small town I was in, Woodland, Yellow County, and all that out here, I was surprised at how much crime there really And I'm not going to say that it's crime-ridden because it's not fair to say that. I mean, every town has their amount of crime and stuff but i was really surprised you know about the gang i wasn't on the job two days and there were two and there were two gang shootings to give you an idea so i was covering stuff like this and and you know husbands and wives getting into it and one killing the other and and different you know things like that so you know this story really touched me and uh i'm gonna let her tell it because she can tell it better than i can okay but uh yeah anyway my guest is Lori Gilleri. 
Hopefully I got it right. Uh, you see it spell. Well, you guys said it spell. You see what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> I'm always screwing names up. But uh, Laura, I'm sorry. Not even Lori. It's least it's Leslie. Oh my God, where am I coming from today? What? Hello, my in my V8 this morning. Leslie Gilliary. Dummy, 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 dummy. Slap, slap, slap. All right, let me bring her in before I screw something else up. Let's just do it. Hello. Hi. This is just one of those names. Told you I'd screw the name up. Told you. I'd find a way. I wasn't expecting the first name to be a problem. I wasn't either until just then. <laughs> it dawned on me. Bam. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, really. Tell us about you, ma'am. About me personally? Well, right now I'm retired and I'm writing. I'm uh, thinking about writing a second book, sort of have started on that. But uh, before that, I had a career in primarily law enforcement, different uh, areas of that. Uh, I started out as a 911 dispatcher in Santa Cruz, California, then moved up to Southern Oregon, worked for the sheriff's office in Josephine County, and then um, got a job working uh, as a field representative for a computer system that provided uh, help to law enforcement agencies in the area. So I stayed with law enforcement and uh, really enjoy the work. Awesome. And how did you get to the point where you were writing this book? The book kind of found me. Um, it's a little bit of a long story, but uh, the woman whose son committed the murder of her husband, who the story is about, was a woman that I met at a uh, Valentine's Day banquet um, in 1986. My husband and I uh, were seated with them at dinner and got to know them in 1986. That was February. And it wasn't until um, October of that same year that the murder took place. But it was interesting. We had a chance to get to know the couple. Um, I stayed in touch with Cherie, which is the mother's name. It was Cherie and Don Weir. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years, would see her on occasion. And then in 2016, she expressed to me she had always wanted to share her story of what had taken place and mostly the aftermath of it. Uh, you have to know what took place in order to understand the aftermath. So, um, but she thought she had a message of how she dealt with her grief and how she dealt with her son, who was the one that was responsible for the death of her husband. So we entered into an arrangement and um, took me five years to complete the book. And it came out in June. I understand about, you know, gathering the information to put the book together because as a crime beat reporter, I mean, I had, you know, I was at the courthouse pulling files and all that stuff and doing, and right after a murder, I mean, they would send us out to wherever to do interviews as well. And it's not an easy job. Yeah, that, that took me a little by surprise, Charlotte. Actually, I thought I like to write, always have, and mm -hmm. had done some writing in my work. Uh, but I thought this story wouldn't be a hard one to do. Uh, I thought all the information was there for me. I just had to put all the information in order and uh, write it so it flowed as a story. But I had no idea just um, talking to the mother for hours and hours, getting her story through, interviewing her, and then going through 
um, the court reports as well as the psychiatric evaluations. It was just a lot more than I realized. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's really hard to do that. I can tell, I can tell you from, from first-hand knowledge to six years of having to go through court files. Now, it's my understanding, I, I, I read your book, fascinating book, absolutely fascinating. You did a fantastic job. Thank you. So the, the son in question was adopted, correct? Yes. Because they, they, they were having trouble um, having kids. Right. They, when they married, they both had the desire to have a large family and mm -hmm. had to be, she didn't get pregnant. It had been eight years into the marriage and they thought if they were going to start a family that they needed to consider adoption. They, they sought out infertility help, but that was back, you know, in 1970. So, you know, it, it's still hard now for couples, but, um, in uh, the late 1960s, they decided that they would go um, through with an adoption and ended up adopting this little boy in 1970 at three weeks of age. And then, as luck would have it, five months later, she got pregnant, right? No, actually, it was five years later. Okay, I misread yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, so... Yeah, he was an only child for quite a while. She still did not get pregnant. And okay. actually, she was of the age that um, they were considering adopting a second child. And uh, at that time, it was uh, then, as fate would have it, uh, she found out she was pregnant. So that was that was interesting. I apologize. My mind is like, I don't know what I would do with my mind. Um, so what, what was their family life like? Um, the family, when they first met and were their early years of marriage, they uh, lived in Southern California. That's where they met, but they were both really outdoors people and they wanted to live a lifestyle that was different than California. Mm -hmm. And they had dreams of coming to Oregon. So um, in 1970, um, they had come up to Oregon and decided they were just captivated by Southern Oregon, the Valley, the Applegate Valley in particular. And um, so they, their dream was to have that kind of a lifestyle, the hunting, fishing, uh, rafting, everything that's involved in living in a recreational area like the Applegate Valley. So that's, that was the husband's dream. The wife loved fishing as much as he did. So, um, that's the way they they had beautiful rural property that they were transforming. So they were living in the country. They were um, doing outdoor activities. And the husband wanted nothing more than to have a relationship with his son where they could enjoy those things together. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of the problem came when their son, Dwayne, he didn't really enjoy the same things as his dad did. So um, it was a lot of adjustment on the part of the family to uh, thinking that they had this aspiration, you know, of, of how it was going to go. And then they needed to readjust and figure out, okay, they want to uh, connect with their son. And so that was, um, that was hard at first, but they sought out ways to connect with him in a way that was different than the hunting and fishing. And, um, um, but they, you know, they loved him. And like I said, they were happy being parents and wanted to have more children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So did they know that, that when did the the son's problem start? How, how old was he when, when they started noticing things weren't quite as perfect as, as they thought? Well, he had some physical manifestations of some problems that might have, you know, had something to do with his behavioral things. He, uh-huh. he had asthma. He had some um, blood in his urine that indicated protein problems. He had hearing problems. Um, he felt sort of isolated as a kid, I think, a little bit because, um, you know, he couldn't participate in activities as easily as um, he could have if he was physically really robust. Um, um, so they, um, you know, they got to, um, he was about four actually when, um, there was first something that was really a red flag. And, uh, there was a situation where he, uh, it appeared that he had tried to drown a litter of kittens on the family property. At four years old. Oh my God. I can't even imagine that. Well, he had, uh, they, when they found out what he had done, they uh, you know, questioned him and he had different excuses. Like he, he wanted to see if they could swim and they wanted a drink of water and uh, the mama cat had scratched him. So he threw her in the water. Um, they were really alarmed about that. Um, but um, it wasn't too long after that he did set a fire in the family home um, while he was being under the care of a uh, babysitter. Uh, mm-hmm. Fortunately, uh, Cherie arrived in the house in time to um, take care of that, but that could have sent the house up in flames. And it was, um, he was playing with a pot on the stove that he had put small pieces of paper in the pot and lit it on fire so that was pretty concerning at at uh five. Oh yeah and, and sheree had thought that there were odd things about him from the time he was really little she just felt as a as a youngster she had done a lot of babysitting so she was familiar with kids behavior and and the differences in kids um, but she always felt like there was something she couldn't put her finger on something about him that wasn't right Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, geez, you know, to be doing stuff like that at four or five years old, that, that, that's a big red flag, huge red flag. Well, so, that, that's kind of looking back a little bit, you know? Yeah. yeah. So when, once he started doing stuff like this, did, did, did they talk to doctors and, and all that to get the information? Well, uh, she did seek out counselors. She went through the mental health department and... Um, talk to people and and uh, it it wasn't until much later that what was really going on with him was actually diagnosed but as a as a youngster she um she tried to get it pinned down just because she knew something and nobody could really identify it and you know, mental health um diagnosis still are hard for people. And this was back in, you know, probably the early 80s. And Mm -hmm. uh, so people would try and uh, they didn't know that he actually had a mental health disorder. Um, Mm -hmm. They 
uh, as he got older and he was manifesting more and more problems as a teenager with typical sort of rebellious teenager um, behavior, there were other things that were feeding into it. And they just were pretty helpless as far as getting anybody that could give them direction. And and then when Dwayne got old enough to actually participate in counseling, of course, he didn't want to go, didn't see any reason he needed to go. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't he wasn't a willing or or involved participant. So it was, it was very hard on Cherie at that time. Um, they were just a very middle of the road income family. They were putting out a lot of money for these counseling sessions that weren't helping. In fact, things were just getting worse. And didn't he start taking drugs too? He did. And the, uh, the way that that began was uh, uh, Dwayne really had uh, an enjoyment for music. And that's one of the ways that they found that they could connect with him, at least understand him a little more and be involved in what was of interest to him. And so that interest in music ended up also including he wanted to be part of a band. And uh, at 12 years old, there were some guys he found at school that were also interested in music and invited him to come join this band that they had going. Uh, Reluctantly, Cherie, who was a, I, I would say a very protective parent, just wanting to make sure who he was around, wanting to make sure that it was a safe environment, Um, didn't know the parents, didn't know the kids, felt kind of uneasy about the whole idea, but wanted him to have friends and didn't want to, you know, throw a wet blanket on his activities um, after a phone call with her, with the mother, um, allowed him to go up there um, what ended up happening up there was the parents were growing marijuana and sharing it with the boys. So that was his introduction to the drug world. And Dwayne found early on that he liked anything that would get him high. And it just got more and more serious with harder and harder drugs. And how did he get the drugs? Like, like you say, you know, initially it was a, his friend's parents. But I mean, if he got into harder drugs, he had to have another source, right? Well, that's true. But I think what happened from the best I can figure out is since he was friends with uh, the parents, uh, he could get marijuana from them, Mm -hmm. which he could in turn trade for other drugs with other kids. And um, it was uh, when he was in high school, they had switched him to a Christian high school thinking that would support their values. They were a Christian family and they they were hoping a school that had maybe stronger rules and more, um, you know, maybe just more parameters on the students would be helpful. But what happened there was um, two of the kids that Dwayne became friends of um, stole Valium out of uh, their mother's medicine cabinet, she had um, cancer and she had Valium and the kids stole the Valium out of her medicine cabinet and twi- traded it for marijuana from Dwayne. So he found a way. Yeah. Yeah. So as far as his behavior goes at this point, 
what was he having me he still had the behavior problems but it was it was being compounded by by, by smoking the weed too right yes absolutely yeah and he he was always very um to himself pretty much a loner and and the smoking weed just increased that with him he just became more withdrawn and um just uh used whatever he could to um just to get high and just to um i don't know i mean he it was just to be away from things and people mm-hmm. and what was the home life like at that point well don was a um he he was a man that worked with his hands he was a um, kind of a man's man, like they used to say. So he was a mechanic and he worked on logging trucks and um, he worked a lot of hours. He always had from the time that Dwayne was born, he wanted to provide uh, the best family that he could for Dwayne. And um, so uh, Cherie, although she was a beautician by profession, when uh, when they got Dwayne and had him at home, she stayed home with him. She she did people's hair in her house, but she wasn't a full-time worker. And so they relied on Don's income. So Don was gone quite a bit. And um, then when Donette came along, the sister, um, she was busy with both children. And so she became kind of the disciplinarian, not really a single mother type, but kind of like that. She was the primary caregivers so she was responsible for the discipline and and um don was still very involved but um uh so he was gone a lot sheree was uh taking over most of the discipline and and just trying to set more and more barriers really or parameters or something something to contain Dwayne who was seeming to be more and more out of control you know he would be told when his curfew was and he wouldn't show up on time and Mm -hmm. and then they would they would cut his curfew down even more and then they wouldn't let him go anywhere and it and then he would just run away and he was shoplifting and it just was he was stealing from family members and it just just getting worse. And this was a small town, right? I mean, this wasn't a big city. Yeah, it's really small. Murphy's a tiny town. I don't even know um, what the number of people are that live right there, but it's basically a gas station, convenience store, a little restaurant, uh, um, a few few uh, markets and in that area, but um, schools. But um, the town of Grants Pass, which isn't that much far away, but right. it's a little bit bigger. So, yeah, it's very rural. Actually, I lived in Montague for a while. Oh, did, oh, that's beautiful. So, yeah, so it's just about, you know, up that, up that direction. So I know the area pretty well. Yeah. So I guess, you know, with all this going on and, you know, him misbehaving publicly, everybody in town probably knew, what, you know, what he was doing. You know, um, it, it was probably known, you know, and Cherie, Cherie and Don were both extremely friendly people, very open, very friendly, very engaging. They would have people to their homes all the time for barbecues. Um, I'm sure Cherie wasn't 
always talking about Dwayne, but I'm sure that the people close to them knew that they were having trouble, especially when he started running away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So were they able to get any help at all at that point with him? Excuse me? Were they able to get any help at all at that point with him or were they just uh, just dealing with it themselves? Yeah, they were pretty much dealing with it themselves. Like I said, at that point when Dwayne was old enough to really participate in some kind of counseling that would have maybe benefited him if he had been a place where he would listen, he had he wouldn't go. Yeah, he was he was like, if you want to go, but I don't need to go. I don't see any reason. So so they just they just didn't. Let me ask you this, and I did read your your book is really well written. I love the book. The chapters everything's laid out so nicely. That's, <laughs> makes me want to write my book, you know. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work, yeah. Um, was there fear? At uh, all? And from- are you talking about the parents? Yeah. Um, from Dwayne. I mean, were they afraid of him? Is yeah, that were what they you- afraid of him? No. Okay. No, that's what was quote, really interesting because at the time of the murder and um, no one suspected it would be Dwayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cherie was gone. I don't know if you wanted to get into this right now, but she was sure. gone when she heard of it. And um, she was out of town at a high school reunion in California. And um, so she had the news by phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the officer on the scene was trying to find out from her who could have done this. What, you know, do you have any idea? And she she was just, well, first she was so in shock. She couldn't even speak really. Um, and then so horrified. But she it never, she, talking to her later, it never even crossed her mind that it would be Dwayne. So and it was, it was the daughter was, that found the husband, right? Yes, she, um, this particular night, she had spent the night at a girlfriend's house. Um, mm-hmm. She was 10. And um, the girlfriend had to go to um, some kind of a dance lesson in Grant's Pass the next morning. This was a Friday night. So the mother of um, the girl told uh, Donat that she would take her home and drop her off. And this had all been arranged with Cherie's knowledge the night before. Mm-hmm. So the mother drove in and saw that Don's truck was at the house. So she knew that Don was home. So she thought nothing of just dropping uh, Don out off at the house mm-hmm. and driving off to town. So here Donette comes home at 10 years old and has no idea what she's going to find when she goes in the house. And how, and, and um, where, where was Don at the time? Don was asleep. Uh, Dwayne had shot him um, when he was asleep in bed. Wow. Jeez. But to be 10 years old and walk in on, on that scene. Oh my God. I can't imagine. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was very traumatic for her. She had to repeat her story over and over. And she was the one that called her mother and told her what had happened. So it's a lot for a girl of 10 years old. 
Yes, a lot, a lot. And she's the one that initially called the sheriff, correct? Come out. Uh, yes, she did. She did call nine one one. That was a little bit confusing because the neighbor got involved as well. Um, uh, Don and Cherie had arranged before Cherie left to go out of town all kinds of backup plans. If it, you know, if if Don was called late to work, you know what could uh, Donette do? And so they had arranged with the neighbors. Um, if anything happened to, you know, they were, they had a heads up, they knew to watch for and look for and, and be available. So that's the neighbors got involved pretty early on and, um, and came to the house and then also called the ambulance and, you know, tried to intervene there for Donette. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty awful. And in the meantime, they didn't know where Dwayne was, Right. Right. But Donette said when she came home and didn't see Dwayne's truck there, she didn't mm -hmm. think anything of it. She just thought he was at a friend's. Mm -hmm. And um, she knew that Don was dead, but she didn't realize he'd been shot. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but she, she didn't know where Dwayne was. Didn't even occur to her until somebody else asked her don't you have a brother or where's your brother and she's like i don't know i guess he's at a friend's you know so it wasn't like oh it must have been Dwayne because you you ask and i didn't go into it very much but there was a lot of conflict between him and don as as Dwayne was getting worse and worse and not doing what he was supposed to and uh, there was a lot of tension in the house but there wasn't fear of him. Afterwards, there was fear mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on both Donette and Cherie's part. A lot of fear, having no idea that he was capable of that. Right, right. I can imagine. So when the so so the authorities come out to the house, and they they realize that the father has been shot. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? Well, the neighbor who was a close neighbor, they were very good friends. The, the families barbecued together and had a corporate garden and all kinds of things. Uh, uh, the, the, the father there um, told the deputy, took him aside and said, I think this was the doing of their son. You know, they've been having problems with him. I know he's been involved in drugs and shoplifting and he stole Cherie's car once and I wouldn't be surprised if it was him. So uh, they immediately um, got the information about his vehicle and then through the, the story, at one point, uh, Dwayne, after he had shot and killed his dad, um, he ended up by happenstance meeting this young woman uh, that he didn't know on the roadway. It's kind of, it's all involved in the, in the book, but he met her and he confessed to her that he'd shot and killed his dad. And she just, she just blew it off saying he was just ranting. He was high and mm -hmm. didn't think anything of it. And um, then they sort of parted separate ways and the, um, um, and then after she got thinking about it, she um, decided to call the 
the sheriff's office and say, you know, something, I, I know this is probably nothing, but I had this encounter with this guy and this is what he told me. So between those two reports, uh, she also had some information about where Dwayne said he was going to be headed after he left her. So they, they had that address and they went to the address and found him and were able to arrest him. So he was arrested uh, about 10 in the morning when the murder had happened about three in the morning. So it didn't take long. No. And um, for everybody that hasn't read the book yet, what type of gun was it? Excuse me? For the people that haven't read the book yet, what, what type of gun was it? Oh, it was a 30-30 hunting rifle, a deer rifle. And he specifically chose that gun. There were several guns in the, in the closet where the parents kept them, um, which is, it's not unusual in a, in a hunting uh, community that that's what people did then. People didn't have gun safes. And um, he went into the closet and looked at, he knew about guns. I mean, he had gone out, he had shot them, and um, he says in his statement that he specifically picked the 3030 because it was the most powerful. Huh. Premeditated. Wow. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. So, in the meantime, Cherie is coming back home knowing that this happened, right? Yes. And fortunately for her, while she was down in San Diego, she was staying with her mother-in-law, Don's mother. Mm -hmm. And Don's mother had planned on coming back with her when she was done at the reunion anyway. And the two just um, took an emergency flight back up to Oregon and still didn't get there until very late on Saturday night. Mm -hmm. So his trial starts, you know, this goes on and, and, and as, as you write it and I've heard, and I've heard some interviews that you did. I saw some interviews that you did as well about Cherie having mixed feelings about all this too. I mean, this really played a number on her. Yeah, absolutely. It did. She, uh, you know, she had the input from family, uh, well-meaning family, mm -hmm. just cut him off after all he's just adopted he's not really your son mm -hmm. which that was that in itself was very difficult for Cherie because they always saw him as their son they never mm -hmm. thought of him as just adopted you know he was their son but uh, family of course they worry about Cherie because she was so devastated with the um with the crime um so she, yeah, she had a tremendous amount of grief. I, um, she would um, cry to the point that she wouldn't get out of bed. Uh, it was it was really difficult for her. Yet she loved Dwayne, mm -hmm. but she was so angry with him that uh, she couldn't understand. She 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 spent so many years trying to figure out how he could do this and why he would do it. He, I, right. Your dad loved you. He was a good dad to you. He did everything he could for you. Why, why would you do this? If anybody, why didn't he shoot me? She said, you know, I mean, I mean, I was the one that was exact, exacting all this discipline and, 
giving him lectures at the kitchen table and telling him he couldn't go places. So it was just, um, it was really hard for her, her conflicting about loving her son, hating him for what he did, being afraid of him now, and uh, what to do with her life, missing, missing Don, the man she loves so much. And what was she gonna do now her son's in prison? It was it was a very overwhelming place for her emotionally. And this whole time too, he he was writing her letters. Oh yes, well that that did start when he was um, when he was first in county jail, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, he started out. You could tell by the letters that he he wasn't accepting the um, finality of what he had done. He spoke about it sort of casually. And like he told uh, Cherie that he thought uh, he should be on house arrest, you know? And I mean, he just had, he, he just had a very odd reaction to it. Even after he had plotted it out that he just sort of thought, well, now we've got to move. We've got to move on now, you know, just uh, not ha having any thought of how it had impacted everybody around him, which, of course, was an indication of the fact he was a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, she just uh, and, I, 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 and the way you wrote the book, it just it just broke my heart. You know how, how torn up she was and and and, and you know having to think about her son and then think about the husband at the same time. And then these letters are coming in that he's writing. And this is like, we're talking, you know, like almost 400 letters he wrote her. Yes. Yes, it is. And uh, yeah, she, um, she was horrified because especially in the beginning, all it was, was blaming. And I've been thinking about this, why all this happened. And then he'd spout off, you know, it's because you did this to me and because dad did that to me and just these horrible letters that and then he was getting in trouble in prison and he was being thrown in the hole. And um, he he just had these rants that didn't make any sense. And she got to where she let the letters pile up on the counter and she she just wouldn't open them. And um, she did. Um, she was. Like I said before, they were a Christian family, and she was going to church at this time. She was very connected with the people in this church. It was a small small church, and she went in regularly and would talk with the pastor and show him the letters. And, you know, I think it was really helpful for her to have that community of support. That was so important to her because— um, just being bombarded with these letters and um and of course as a parent i'm sure she had those moments should we have done more should we have done less um maybe we shouldn't have given up on the counseling we maybe we should have made him go and and of course she's hearing from him how it's all her fault and but she knows that that's really not so and it, it was a lot. And then here she is. She suddenly has to financially take care of the family. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she she has had a lot going on. And then he, here's her daughter and her daughter's kind of having to f- sometimes fall into the role of the mother because the mother's having so much emotional grief that she can't take care of things, you know, the, like this almost like a major depression, you know, a severe depression. And and so the daughter finds that she has to try to help her mother. And, and then the mother feels guilty because here she knows she should be helping the daughter and she can't even take care of herself. You know, it's very difficult. So the church was real important for her at that time. And ask about the daughter. Um, did the daughter have any mind issues because of, you know, finding the father? Well, I wouldn't, I, I've been very careful about what I say about the daughter because um, she is, she's been helpful to me about information from a book, very helpful. And um, so, um, you know, she, she recalled things for me, even though it was in statements, she told me about finding her dad and about different things with right. Dwayne. Um, but I'm sure it's affected her deeply. Mm-hmm. And she um, she had one opportunity where she wanted to talk to Dwayne early on before he was sentenced and told him, uh, she wanted an answer too. Why did you do this? Why'd you do this to our family? Why'd you murder dad? And he just kind of shrugged and, you know, there was no response really. He was just, just didn't answer her really. And she just told her mom, you can visit him, but I don't want to. That's the last time that she cared to see him. She did see him in court when she had to testify about finding her dad. But after that, she didn't see him again. Were there issues between the two of them growing up at all? If you ask her, it was brother and sister conflicts, like who was going to do the dishes and they might shove each other around if, you know, well, I told you to clean that up or something like that. But he was older than her, you know, so um, they didn't fight over similar things. He was kind of on to the the teenager things while she was still playing with her dolls. So um, they didn't really... um, there was a distance between them and Sheree and Don were pretty careful not to let, um, you know, their conversations with Dwayne, they, they tried to sort of keep that between them and Dwayne and not let her realize how serious things were getting with Dwayne. Now, while he's in prison, is he getting medicated for his issues? Apparently, because the it was also diagnosed he was diagnosed as a sociopath by the psychiatrists in southern oregon and when he went up to uh prison they they diagnosed him the same he was always tested it was always the same um so yes there were uh he was taking medication but yet he was still writing those letters which is which is kind of you, you know, uh, you know. I'm not saying odd, but the medication really wasn't doing the job it should have been doing. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I don't know how much the medication for a sociopath. Right. Um, it's not really like um, a chemical imbalance. You know, it's more right. like I don't know. I I read about it because of the book. It's interesting to me because I wanted to understand a little bit more, but I'm not sure I I really understand it. Um, sure. But um, yeah. There was definitely things going on, how much you could attribute to a, a mental disease or mental um, disorder and how much was his choice of just being the way he was. Um, hard to say. Now, on the night of the murder, let's step back a little bit. What took place that night? The father was asleep. So obviously he went, uh, loaded the gun, walked into the bedroom. And then what happened? That's that's basically what happened. He uh, uh, that evening they had been together. He and Don had been out on a job that Don had out in the woods. So they had gotten home very late. Um, Don had been on the phone talking to Sheree because they spoke each night. And um, then Don had gone to bed and Dwayne. Um, had taken a beer out of the refrigerator and was just downing can after can of beer. Plus he had Valium. He had access to Valium that he was taking. Um, he also had uh, weed that he was smoking. So he was just, um, he was just doing what he did, but more of it. And um, he was, waiting his time until he decided he his dad was asleep and that he would go in and shoot him hmm. awful just awful now sheree after going through all this comes to you and says and, and, and asks you to write a book correct yes oh gosh yes um but see, that was in 2016, and um, a lot had happened between her and Dwayne over those years, over the 350 letters that he wrote her. And uh, there was a lot of time in between where she didn't see him. It, she went for, um, after he was sentenced, she saw him one time. Mm -hmm. And then she didn't see him again for 12 years. Wow. So, uh, but the letters continued off mm -hmm. and on in varying degrees of, uh, of hostility, uh, periods where he told her that um, uh, he was involved in homosexuality. At one point he told her he thought he was transgender and he wanted to be put on medication, um, estrogen therapy, and um, she was just bombarded with all kinds of things through the years that <laughs> just she couldn't believe, like, what's next, you know, and, and she continued to see him. And she felt for herself that at some point she needed to forgive him. And she wasn't really sure what that looked like, but um, it she she wanted to, but she didn't. I mean, it was such a grievous crime, 
and she was so affected by it and saw the effect on her daughter. It was just, it was very hard for her to come to any sort of uh, <laughs> reconciliation about all of that. So um, she had promised at the time that they adopted him to take care of him until he was 18 and be a parent. So she put up a lot of parameters under what kind of relationship she would have with him, but she continued to let him know that she cared about him. She wanted to know how he was, that she was there, uh, but she was not going to be manipulated by him and she was not going to give him things that he wanted uh, mm -hmm. for money and that kind of thing. Uh, but um, uh, it was interesting as, as time went on, some changes that through the letters um, changed her mind about him. Mm -hmm. But it was a long time. It was a long time in coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she asked you to write the book and you, and you were kind of, on the edge about it, right? About putting this book together for her. <laughs> well, honestly, no, because I I thought that I was excited about doing it. You know, I like I said, I'd always imagined in my mind to write a book. So um, I plus I loved Cherie. She okay. she was just um, she was such a warm and genuine woman, you know, and she made everybody feel. Uh, like they were her best friend, uh, not in a disingenuous way, but more she made everybody feel important. Um, mm -hmm. It was very hospitable. And um, and I know it was important to her. And she felt, especially in today's age with uh, addiction becoming worse and worse with the more availability of drugs and the more use um, and parents having to deal with issues like this with their kids and just feeling that sense of, is it ever going to change? Uh, you know, I can't keep watching this happen. She, she was hoping that by telling her story and what she stuck through and how she did that, that it would bring hope and encouragement to other people. So I wanted to do it sure. because she felt that it was a story that would be helpful to others. And like I told you before, mm -hmm. I didn't really know what I was getting into. Sure. I didn't think it was going to take me five years. Right. So, um, and then of course, once I agreed, I, I had to finish. So, right. so that's good. But just yesterday I got a uh, message from uh, someone who had read the book, said they had bought it before Christmas and hadn't had a chance to start reading it until recently, couldn't put it down. Mm -hmm. And she said it just resonated with her because um, of dysfunctional issues within her own family that were different. But mm -hmm. what it did was she said she just was able to feel a connection with Cherie and it gave her encouragement to continue to try to stay the course with this person and her, this relative and her family. So uh, I don't think Cherie was not advocating for letting somebody walk all over you. Right. And, uh, 
Um, but um, I think she was careful about what she let happen. But it, it took a toll because she, you know, the, every letter was very difficult. When I read them, I read them all three times. And um, I mean, if they were written to me and that was said to me, it was horrible. Like he's very, uh, very profane, just awful letters, just, just awful. So, um, you know, she's, she's pretty remarkable in my, my book. And, um, and uh, I just think a lot of her. And she passed away, correct? She did. Yeah. Cancer. She did. Before the book was done, which was very disappointing to me. She's after going through all that and then boom. Yeah. Well, she she had a lot of good things happen in her life. And uh, she was able to do some traveling due to the generosity of a friend. And she she made some wonderful friends and she was a wonderful friend to many people. Um, she her property that she and Don had bought together, uh, they turned into a wedding venue that is uh so beautiful if uh if any of your listeners go to my website there's pictures of the of the property uh it was just scrub when they scrub uh, poison oak and madrones and um thistles and they just turned it into this magical beautiful place so she you know she had she never remarried but um you know, she, she's, uh, I admire her a lot. And her daughter lives on the property. Uh, yes, she does. Interesting. Yeah. I saw a newspaper article about you writing the book and uh, they, they interviewed her, you know, and, um, and it was a very interesting article about her living on the property and everything. And, Turning over that new leaf, you know, and, and having helped her mom turn it into the wedding venue and all that. No, uh, Charlie, you're you're sounding a little raspy on my yeah, end. I don't know if it's going your... going yeah. on. It's kind of a something yeah, weird going on. All kinds of weird thing going on today. Yeah, very odd. Maybe I should. Uh, I should put my charger in and connect it here. Um, I just want to make sure we have, uh, do I sound clear to you on your end? You're kind of rough. You're kind of rough. That's weird. Hmm. I don't know what that is. Strange. All right. Anyway, she'll, she'll be back. She'll be back in. What a story, huh? And the book, uh, if you get the chance to get it, I'll show you guys the book. And, um, be sure to get i mean the, the book is incredible i could not put it down when i was reading it it's just it's just so sad everything that came about with it it's just so 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 sad really sad uh it's called the decision to kill and uh i just can't imagine you know the 10 year old walking in and finding the father i can't imagine what the what the wife went through you know all those years and then they end up with, and then they end up getting diagnosed with cancer horrible 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 but uh, like I said, if you get a chance to get this book, don't 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 pass it up because it's very it's, it's a fantastic read. I mean, she really did the hard work on it. Hopefully, she comes back in. 
Maybe, maybe not. It's a kind of night. Everything's gone wrong with this show tonight anyway, so why shouldn't this? Uh, okay, let me see what's going on. Okay, anyway, um, it's almost time to wrap up anyway, so I think we're going to wrap up. Um, you know, we've got about five minutes to go, so let's just do our usual close, uh, close on the show. You know, if you, if you like the show, share it with five people, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And, uh, yeah, just like it. And again, if you're watching from Facebook, I'm kind of off today for some reason. If you're watching from Facebook, please be sure to hit that like button and that follow button if you haven't done so already. If you're watching and listening from YouTube and, and, and you like the show, please hit that like and follow button. I'd, uh, I would appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, and tomorrow uh, we're shifting gears a little bit. We're going to have a medical intuitive on with us. Her name is is, is, is Katie Beecher, and she's going to be on at 6.30 p.m. Pacific with us. And um, she'll have some great insights. I don't know. I think I'm just tired today. But, anyway, I want to thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30. Okay? Have a good one.